But I think there's been this fear that exercise is somehow going to be dangerous. Uh, and it's quite the contrary. After that first day, when they say you have cancer, there's a new person born. You know, there's this thing called new normal. I, th I think they don't really maybe understand how much it's going to help them. Each patient and each survivor is going to be experiencing different side effects, different experiences. The positive is that it's, it's never too late. Welcome to the REACH podcast, where you'll hear from researchers, doctors and patients themselves on how exercise, nutrition and lifestyle behaviors can reduce cancer risk and improve survivorship. I'm your host, Kieran Fairman. This week's episode of the REACH podcast is sponsored by the Lamstrom Foundation, which is a non-profit organization founded by Major League Soccer goalkeeper and Stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor, Matt Lamson. The mission of the Lamstrom Foundation is to provide difference-making financial, emotional and motivational support to cancer patients and families in all stages of cancer treatment and recovery, as well as to fund proven cancer researchers. So for more information and regular updates on the Lamstrom Foundation and what they're doing, go ahead and follow the Lamstrom Foundation on Facebook or visit lamstrom.com today. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the REACH podcast. Today I'm talking about how to design a program for cancer patients and survivors and also how a consultation might look if you're, if you're talking to cancer patients and survivors on, on the value of exercise and, and design their program and how to get some more information about them. So what I'm doing today is kind of giving you an overview of some considerations for training cancer patients and survivors. What I do in, in my role as a physiologist and the kind of the background information that I need and I get to help figure out what I do or how, how to figure out designing a program from my perspective along with uh, what the consultation looks like when I when I either online or in person when I sit down with these people and talk to them about exercise about their program and what we're going to do what that looks like in itself so kind of giving you again a better overview of we've had all these different people from different perspectives and the common theme is exercise is generally safe and beneficial and it's been 22 episodes now and you haven't heard one person yet say this is the absolute exercise you should do this is the best program you should do because of the variety there you know when I first got into this field I didn't really even know there was a field of exercise oncology and then when you get into the field itself you realize how broad the field can be in terms of uh, prescribing exercise during treatment versus after treatment with different cancer populations with different treatment types how long you've been on treatment all these different avenues have all these really big researchers who are really interested in different aspects of that that are researching those specific areas so while it is a very small subset of the field of of fitness in general once you dive into it it's uh there's a lot more to it than kind of meets the eye from the outside so again, what I'm trying to do is give you a little bit more um, kind of tangible information in terms of when I go to work with these people, what am I looking for and what information do I need and how does that inform the prescription I give? So, you know, as I mentioned, the, the easiest thing I could do is sit here and say, this is the magic exercise, this is the magic program, do this and only do this. And prescribe an exercise for a cancer patient or survivor is not unlike prescribe an exercise for anyone else in the world where you you get 
a background in terms of what that person is, who they are, some of their medical history, so on and so forth. And then you use all that information, you talk to that person, you design an appropriate program for where they are right then. And that's a really important point, and, and I'll, kinda, I'll come back to this throughout the, the course of the chat today, but understanding that the program that you give or that you get as a patient or survivor is not going to be the program that you do forever. You know, for example, uh, a former athlete or even if they're, they're a current athlete and they're 35 to 40 years old, come down with cancer and they're active four or five times a week, what they get that's going to be during treatment is going to look a lot different than the exercise program that they get six months post-treatment, maybe two years post-treatment. Likewise, a 65-year-old prostate cancer patient undergoing androgen deprivation therapy for a few years, what he gets is going to differ based on the treatment he's on, based on his prior activity levels, all those type of things, and also how he progresses. You know, there are key principles of exercise training that we adhere to to help optimize our program things like progression and things like overload continuously modifying your program throughout time to see those beneficial adaptations over time and keep getting better if you're doing the same program if you're if you're running three miles a week for six months a year you're probably not going to get too much fitter unless you're doing it for time you're trying to time trial yourself the kind of the the perspective we take is that if you're in a maintenance phase and there are people that are in this phase in that I've gotten to where I'm fit enough. I'm kind of enjoying just getting in and exercising for different aspects other than improving my fitness. Go in and enjoy it. Go in and move your body. Get your three-mile jog in. Lift some weights. Just move your body and feel good. That's perfectly okay. But in terms of fitness, in terms of strength outcomes, in terms of, of progressing from a physiological perspective, we do need to incorporate these principles. And, that we, what that's, and that's what we try to do when we work with these cancer patients and survivors. So coming back to what we do at REACH and how we work with cancer patients and survivors, like I said, we do we do the same as what we do for any other population. And I'm gonna talk specifically about more the kind of online consulting and uh, coaching because I don't do as, as much hands-on training anymore. Most of my hands-on training has been in research studies, so that, that process looks a lot different than what I would do in the industry or, or kind of working individually with patients so when someone comes on to reach or someone someone gets in contact with us as physiologists you know obviously we, we get to know them thank them for their time and then we send them out a consult packet and what that packet is is first it, it explains our role as reach and more importantly explains the difference between a personal trainer and an online consultant because personal training and hands-on training it can be a little easier to to work through exercises, to to get a feel for the person because you're doing a lot of hands-on work. You're meeting with them however many times a week, so you're developing a much closer personal relationship than you would be in online consulting. Additionally, online consulting, obviously, you're not spending as much time and you're also programming, you know, maybe for four to six weeks at a time. And so you don't really know how they're going to respond to the first few weeks. And so what I do try to do is is get a check-in every week or so, for at least for the first four to six weeks to see how people are progressing, see if we need to change anything accordingly. But 
understanding and having having a having some information in the packet that allows people to understand that from the offset gives them a little bit more insight into what we do and how the process is going to work so also with the packet there's also a lot of information on just normal medical history you know things that particularly will affect the exercise prescription are you a diabetic you know obviously diabetics need to monitor their, their blood sugars which will affect the exercise intensity which will affect how and when we we prescribe the exercise are they taking any medication that could affect their heart rate or blood pressure so when we're prescribing exercise intensity the intensity isn't off right and so even other disorders or issues they've got going on do they have asthma do they have high cholesterol you know is there any other chronic condition that they're suffering from have they had any heart surgery before things like that that again if you're working with a general population particularly those who are older you need to have a better understanding you need to have a good understanding of their medical history and any current medications they're on because there's a lot of medications that can affect the response to exercise and it's important to to get all that information so there's no surprises uh three four five weeks into a program and you know you hear a lot of stories and i've experienced it myself where people don't reveal everything they they necessarily could about their medical history and then you're working with i remember i was working with a a gentleman about four or five years ago younger fella and you know the screening for younger males necessarily isn't as extensive but failed to mention he was a smoker so the second session in we were doing some circuit style training and uh just put him through the ringer and he was gassed after a session i was going you know man what what's going on you you don't seem with it today and he was like i had a couple of smokes on the way over and you're kind of going you know either stop smoking or give up exercise just pick one you know what i mean you're kind of just you're kind of just staying where you're at with doing both so it's important to get as comprehensive as a medical history as possible to help prevent any of those surprises that may come up down the road you know and then obviously injuries come into it as well are there any current injuries they're facing do they have any chronic pain in their back in their knees in their shoulders you know traditional problem areas that we see along with any previous injuries particularly within their if they're within the last year or so something that's been at them for a while that's gone away have they had something like an acl tear rotator cuff tear that will affect how we prescribe the exercise particularly in older folks and we know adherence to physical therapy can be quite poor at times if someone's had some sort of surgery and is kind of you know not really paid attention to the rehab immediately post they may have some range of motion issues around that joint they may have some problems getting back to full fitness and we may have to to modify the exercise accordingly so again it, it comes back to the more information you have at the offset the better it's going to be for both you prescribing the exercise and how your client your patient or, or whoever it is responds to the exercise and responds to 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 what you give them you know so if you bring that into the cancer world Again, it's really important that you look for as much information related to their cancer as possible because all of that information can affect how you prescribe the exercise. So what type of cancer is it? Is it leukemia? Is it breast? Is it prostate? Those different types of cancer will have different treatments. They'll have different side effects. They'll have different duration of treatment. And all those things come into how you prescribe your exercise. 
Have they just had their diagnosis and they're about to go into treatment? Are they slap bang in the middle of treatment and they're just looking to do anything right now? Or are they coming to the end of it or maybe they're two or three years post-treatment and they're just looking for someone with an experience and background in this area that will understand some of the chronic longer term side effects, things like neuropathy, cardiomyopathy, some common side effects of, of treatment that have dissipated or haven't dissipated long after treatment has. So in terms of the type of cancer, the easiest way or the most common way that that will affect the exercise prescription is there's going to be some site-specific considerations, particularly with surgery. Obviously, you know, with with the exception of a lot of blood cancers, solid tumors present in the majority of cancers. And so normally one of the first points of attack is surgery to that area. So, you know, you don't have to be an oncologist to, to understand how exercise is going to affect these cancer patient survivors, but you do need to have a general understanding of the treatment to be able to figure out how to navigate some of these barriers. So you look at the difference between a breast cancer survivor getting a mastectomy versus a lung cancer patient getting a lobectomy, getting some of their lung removed to maybe a prostate cancer patient or even someone with metastases. So again, it just comes to considering that wherever the surgery is obviously there's going to be some scar tissue buildup there's going to be some range of motion issues around that area and that brings it about a really important point in what we do at reach and what a lot of people in in this field try to do is develop a comprehensive medical team in terms of there's a lot of things that are outside my scope of practice you know I, i i practice and i preach cancer rehabilitation but there's things that I shouldn't even be touching and a physical therapist should be working with them with. So I try to develop a network in my area where I can get referrals to a physical therapy that I'm I'm comfortable with. I know they're they're a good standard and I know they can treat these patients well. Where if I have someone who has who's straight after breast cancer surgery and they have a lot of range of motion in their upper body, a lot of range of motion issues and a lot of, you know, stiffness and tightness, maybe I'll work with the physical therapist. We'll come up and we'll get together and come up with a plan together where they work on the the specific issue related to surgery and rehab in their area and I'll work on the general fitness and we kind of come together and oftentimes it's it's a case of where you go to PT first and then you come to me or other times you work together you know so it the value of creating that network especially if you're going to be in you know wherever your town is if you're going to be in that place long term the value of creating a network between yourself and a PT maybe a registered dietitian to get some dietary advice on board and absolutely the 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 biggest thing you need to take away from this podcast this show this field is you need to to develop relationships with oncologists and physicians the better your relationship is with them the more referrals you're going to get the more they're going to trust you and you will hear across the show the frustration that researchers and practitioners and even physicians and oncologists themselves have with how little's been done in this area and a lot of that barrier or a lot of the barriers to that is is the developing a, a line of communication you know it takes a lot of stones to walk into a physician's office an oncologist's office and say you know i am joe blogs off the street i'm a personal trainer I'm interested in working with this population. I want to work together. You know, it may take some perseverance. It may take some resilience. It may take you, you kind of keep knocking on their door. It may not happen right away, but we need 
more people in this area. We the, the field and cancer patient survivors are crying out for help and we need more people in this area. So I encourage you to keep knocking on the door, keep talking to nurses, talking to assistants, talking to whoever you can to get your foot in the door to develop that relationship. Because once you did and you've heard from Sammy Mansfield and, and her build program, once you can develop that relationship, it's solid. So the value of that network can't be understated in in terms of just giving your cancer patient or survivor a comprehensive program and, and a really, you know, just top-notch program, not only in terms of exercise, but in terms of their cancer care and their dietary advice. Bring all that together, and that's a really solid, holistic program that will hopefully help complement treatment, help improve fitness going on after that. So while that's a kind of a sidebar, it's it's a really important point and one that I want to keep hammering home over the course of this episode and indeed the whole show in general. So if we come back to, to the treatment again, obviously the surgery is going to be site specific and then you've got the difference in are they on hormonal therapy, are they on chemotherapy, are they on radiation therapy, are they on a combination of all these? You know, the, the type of treatment they're on again is going to affect their their prognosis and, and affect their, their exercise prescription. For example, one of the most common side effects of chemotherapy is chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy. And that's a, a tingling and numbness in the extremities. A lot of people can experience balance issues with this. They can also experience some difficulty with holding free weights. So we try to get a picture of the severity of this. You know, and, and if you can't handle free weights, how do you modify that? Maybe we move to um, machine-based exercises. If you have trouble walking, maybe we sit you on a recumbent bike. And with chemo-induced peripheral neuropathy, it, it varies a lot based on the dose of chemo, the type of chemo, and how long you're on it. And it tends to be more pronounced in and around the treatment phase. And as you move away from treatment, it tends to subside. But in some cases, it doesn't. And in some cases, it can stay prevalent or present for a long time afterwards. So again, even if it's a patient that you have a year or two after, they may be facing some of these issues that... A lot of people will look at them and say, you know, you've you finished treatment two years ago, you look okay. You know, you should be okay. And and understand that just because they look okay doesn't mean there's a lot of these issues that aren't going on. And even you know, and even within chemo, based on the type of chemotherapy, there can be different issues. For example, androcyclines like doxorubicin is renowned for having cardiotoxicity. And you'll hear Amy Kirkham's gonna talk a lot about this in in an upcoming episode, a really interesting uh, conversation I had with her in terms of the dose of chemo and, and anthracyclines in particular can put your, your heart at risk for cardiotoxicity. There can be some cell death, some abnormal function in there. So for me, looking at that, you know, if you're going through chemo, is maybe an aerobic training more program more appropriate than a strength training program? And we'll talk to, we'll talk in a little bit about the considerations of that. But again, it comes back to the more comprehensive a picture you can get of the treatment they're on or that they've had, the better you can tailor your, tailor your program, not only to to the treatment, but to the person themselves. Move on to something like radiation. And in general, we have, you know, the side effects can be fatigue, nausea in some cases, a lot of skin irritation, and even the radiation, because it's getting so specific, there can be some site-specific considerations and, and where you get the radiation can, can determine what type of side effects you exhibit. For example, we talked to Nicole Kulos Reed about uh, head and neck cancer, and because because head and neck cancer is in the head and neck, there can be radiation to that area, there can be surgery to that area. 
a lot of issues with mouth sores, swallowing. You know, she was talking about some people can take two or three hours to complete a meal. And because there's so much pain there, there's so much fatigue, it takes so much time to eat. They have, you know, maybe they're only consuming 700 calories uh, uh, a day. And so weight loss is a huge issue in head and neck cancer. And a lot of that weight loss, because they're not active, it, a lot of that is muscle mass. A lot of that is lean body mass. You know, so we try and develop programs that are going to counteract that weight loss. And if you look at exercise from a calorie expenditure perspective, you know, you you jog for uh, 30 minutes doing aerobic activity, you're going to burn about 300 calories. But if you do weight training for 45 minutes, maybe it's, you know, 180 calories. And so weight training may be a lower energy cost way of exercising. And not only, not only that, weight training is going to help at a minimum, you know, maintain some of that lean body mass, maintain some of that muscle mass. And so again, it comes back to the more you know about the treatment, the more you understand about the treatment, the better you can tailor a program that's going to help those cancer patient survivors. You know, and then you can also leave it open-ended and just ask them what side effects they're experiencing. You know, we have a checklist of the usual stuff, fatigue, pain, nausea, trouble sleeping, neuropathy, things like that. But there may be things that they're experiencing as, as a result of treatment or not that are relevant to to your prescription and to your consult and how you prescribe this exercise. So again, the more, you know, if you're if you're if you're a professional listening to this, the more information you can get, the better it's gonna be. If you're a patient or survivor listening to this, if you can be as open and as honest as you can and give as much information up front as possible, it's gonna better help tailor the program to you and it's gonna be it's gonna be more enjoyable process for both of you and it's gonna just really help develop that relationship from the offset. You know, and then moving forward, like I said, we, we get information on their lifestyle. You know, what is their average sleep per night? Are they are they stressed? What is their schedule like? Are they are they during treatment and they're just trying to get back and forth from the hospital? Are they they've completed treatment but they still have a pretty hectic life? They're working 60, 70 hours during tax season as an accountant. All of those things come into play in terms of how you develop their program. Along with their their training history, obviously, is gonna be a, a big part of this. As I said, you know, a lot of cancer patient survivors tend to be you know at least the ones that we've worked with in the past you know 40 or above some of them have had some sort of injury comorbidity different illnesses maybe some of them haven't exercised before but there's also a lot of cancer patients out there and survivors who are younger who are really active you know you look at the likes of matt lampson who was 18 when he got diagnosed and was a, a college soccer player or a high school soccer player going into college you still got people like that that you've got to work with or that you get to work with. So being able to design a program for them is going to look a lot different than designing a program for you know a 50-year-old who's never exercised before. So we try again, get a comprehensive picture of what your training program is. What is your current training program? What have you done in the last month? If you have a specific regimen or, or program, what does it look like week to week? You know, and, and I do a four-day split. Monday, Tuesday, I do this. Wednesday, I go for a walk. Thursday, Friday, I do this. Or is it kind of, I just kind of go in and in and out every now and again? Or have you not done anything in a while? Along with that, what is your training history? You know, are you a former athlete? Do you have any experience with weight training before? You know, are you a snowboarder? Are you a skier? You know, what, what do you like to do? You know, all of that 
all of that activity that falls under the umbrella of exercise, all of that's relevant. And the more information you can get, the better it's going to be. And then you put that information along with everything else we've just talked about. And then you bring that with you or we bring that with us to the consult and talk about everything. Talk about the, the, the cancer side effects. Talk about their, their training history. Talk about their life in general. And just get to know them as a person that, and see if we can develop a relationship. See if we can develop a program that's going to suit you for where you're at. And the consult, again, just like the exercise, is going to be unique every single time you do it. I've had consults that have lasted an hour and a half as I get to know the person. I've consults with, with you know, really, you know, type A athletes who are just give me what I got to do and, and get out last 15 minutes. So again, what our consults look like are are very different person to person. You know, you look at someone like Mark Corrado from episode one or two way back when, when he came to me, he had a full week of training schedule and he he was just determined. And, and if you haven't listened to his episode, go back and listen to it. It's phenomenal. He was just determined to do whatever he could. He was like, I need to do more. I, give me whatever I can. And when I looked at his program, he was training two or three times a week, strength training two or t- three times a week and cycling 50 plus miles a week. And I was kind of going... I, I can't change that you know you're doing everything you need to do maybe I can I can modify some exercises here and there I can give you you know some some different exercises you might want to try but overall you're as active as you need to be you know if we come back to our our general recommendations we've got 150 minutes a week of moderate intensity activity and we've got two to three days a week of strength training activity he was well surpassing that so so in terms of of the health benefits you know he was doing fine what I tried to do for him was kind of maybe tailor it a little bit more and get it more specific to certain goals. So again, you look at what I would do for someone like Mark, who who I, I got to know and it was more about reining him in a little bit to a 50-year-old who has no experience, has never set foot in a gym and wants to get started. Those consults are going to look so much different and you know for example in air lab we do a lot of research on behavior change and how do we how do we set the wheels in motion in terms of giving people the tools to not only start an exercise program but how do they maintain it and you've heard me you know over and over again talk about this and the easiest thing in the world to do is put someone through the ringer for 6 weeks and see improvements in whatever your outcome is strength physical function fitness and then after those 6 weeks say good luck We'll see you go out, go off out into the world. What's much harder to do is work with someone for six, eight, 12 weeks and then bump into them two or three years down the road and say, hey, how's it going? Are you still working out? Are you still as fit and as active? Do you have the tools to navigate life, to to self-regulate yourself, to, to set goals, to overcome barriers, to prevent lapses? All those those tools are critical for maintaining activity. And so, you know, for someone like Mark or even Matt Lampson or, you know, Darcy, who was who have all been on the show, all of them come with this athletic mindset and athletes have a different mindset. They're just they're ready to go. Give me what I need to do. I'll just do it. And there's no real questions about it. Whereas someone who who is less experienced in that area, maybe hasn't been as active before, you know, just pick a rural area west virginia up in the mountains someone who gets a diagnosis of you know colon cancer 
has never worked out before and they come to me and say, I, you know, I want to start working out. I have no real access to a gym. I've never really exercised before. My diet is McDonald's for lunch and breakfast and, you know, steak and shake for dinner. You know, there's going to be a lot more uh, behavior change and, and counseling in that latter or in that second person than it would be in one of the athletes. And the benefit, obviously, of, of, of the athletes is they, they tend to have those you know they tend to be active they tend to have their diet pretty much in check now i say that because matt lamson loves donuts and if you go onto that guy's twitter it's either soccer in the mls or he's tweeting about donuts it's absolutely insane but then you got you, you know you've got these people who aren't as familiar with it and we've got to we've got to start from baseline so the consult is first of all just tell me about yourself. You know, I have all this I have all this information, I have all this data that will help me guide you, but I just want to get to know you. I want to get to know how how your mind works, how you operate, what is your attitude towards exercise? Really important. What are the barriers you face? You know, what is your access to the gym like? Do you have do you have money for the gym membership? What's your lifestyle like in terms of your schedule week to week? Are you a you know are you a third shift worker do you have two or three kids that you got to look after and you got to you got to bring them to their soccer practice and and school plays and all that type of thing what is your what is your travel schedule like are you a businessman who flies every week all those things you know while not cancer specific are really important and integral to setting the foundation of an exercise program and then it comes back to educating a lot of people tend to be misinformed about what they're going to experience from an exercise program. And, and you know, if you want me to go on a rant, I think social media has, has played a large role in this, but it's not, it's it's been around since before social media in people overhyping or overstating the benefits of exercise in a short amount of time. And we see these six weeks transformations great you see improvements of fitness you see improvements in in body composition you drop body fat but they they tend to be pretty extreme in the training program they're on along with the the diet that they have people on in these programs and there's certain people that's perfectly acceptable for there's certain people that are that are more apt to to do one of those and be successful with it but there's a lot of people that are aren't and the danger of putting them into a high intensity program straight off the bat for six weeks without any prior activity, you're increasing the risk of injury, you're increasing the risk of demotivation in terms of they, they go to this class and they see all these young fit people doing the exercise and they can't keep up or they just feel wrecked all the time. You know, and so if you go back to like a Lampson or, or a Darcy, sure, they could, they could probably throw themselves into that and be okay. But when we're talking about behavior change, when we're talking about getting someone who's sedentary active, there's a lot more counseling. There's a lot more sitting down with them and, and trying to guide them through those initial difficult stages to a point where then they feel comfortable. They have the tools. You've worked with them in, in being able to identify barriers in being able to prevent lapses, whether it's at a, a family holiday, whether it's at Thanksgiving or Christmas, eating around the holidays whether it's preventing lapses in terms of their activity, if they're traveling, you know, pilots, doctors, anyone who, who has a really hectic schedule, how do we squeeze something in somewhere to where, 
you know, it may not be the best exercise in terms of improving fitness, in terms of improving strength, but it's something. And the importance and, and the value of understanding that any activity is so much better than none, not just for maintaining your fitness, but for maintaining the habit. You know, we all, we've all experienced in our life where, you know, things come up, life happens, a week without the gym, I'll get back next week. Two weeks go by, you know, another another crappy week, I'll get back to it next week. And before you know it, you're looking around two or three months down the line and saying, you know, what happened? And then you, you start to think about how difficult it was or, or, the, or the, the journey you had to take to get to that point where you felt really fit and really good. And the disappointment and the frustration that can give you in terms of going, I have to go through all that again. So again, it comes back to, you're going to have times in your life, you're going to have periods of weeks or months where you're not going to have your your perfectly sweet schedule in terms of, I get to the gym five times a week, every session is going to be top notch. You're going to have times where you're, you know, you're just wrecked. You're just getting into the gym and doing half of what you normally do is a goal. And then you bring it back to a cancer population, we, we really harp on this in terms of appropriate goals for where you're at. You know, for example, someone with lung cancer going into to surgery, we're just trying to get you as fit as we can to buffer some of the side effects. You know, we're, we're going to do whatever we can to get you as fit as we can to the point of surgery where you have part of, if not a full lung removed to, to deal with the tumor and to where, you know, if you're, if you're getting one of your lungs removed, there's going to be a lot of cardiovascular issues. There's going to be a lot of fitness issues there and, and pulmonary issues. We need to get you as fit as you can to try and buffer that. Likewise, and you've heard me talk about this over and over, the the goal of exercise during treatment, while you may see some improvements in in fitness, in strength, in physical function, um, especially if it's hormonal therapy like ADT or, or endocrine therapy for, for breast cancer, if it's something toxic and it's something really uh, uh, just grueling like six rounds of chemo, your goal may not be to improve your vo2 improve your strength by 40 50 pounds improve your fitness and understanding that and being able to sit down with a, with a patient and survivor and explain that is so important in terms of the motivation and just keeping them at it because you you kind of think about what it's like to go through a, a grueling workout you're kicking your own ass and to come away after four to six weeks and saying i'm still lifting the same weights i'm still I'm still, you know, running the same intensity. I don't feel like I'm getting fitter. That can be really, really frustrating. And what we're trying to say is, especially during treatment, not getting worse is the goal. You know, I know it could be really frustrating if you're if you're just kicking your own arse and you're you're busting it and you're you're really trying to progress. But understanding that during chemo, because it's so toxic, because the cycles you know, are, are just devastating and, and they can compound over time so your side effects get worse over time. All you're trying to do is just battle those side effects. You're not trying to improve your mile time. You're not trying to go win a marathon. You're just trying to stay fit and active and stay where you're at because the alternative of that, if you don't exercise and you look at, you know, however long a cycle takes, it can be two, three, four, six months of chemo, you look at being inactive for that amount of time and compound that with the side effects of treatment, you're going to get so much worse. So, you know, while it can be frustrating to feel like you're you're really grinding and you're not making any progress, 
doing all that work to stay where you're at is a really positive goal. And the other benefit of that is you may not see some physical improvements, but you will see improvements in nausea, in fatigue, in sleep, in your overall energy. And we talk about the, the fluctuations in in these side effects with chemo and, and the cycles. You get an infusion two or three days later, it tends to be at its worst in terms of fatigue and nausea and sleep and pain that slowly subsides over the course of the next week or so before your next infusion. The power of exercise, that can, it can kind of smooth out those fluctuations. So the highs aren't as high, the lows aren't as low, you're kind of more even keeled going through treatment. And then you've got just got the quality of life, the social aspect of getting out with your friends, getting out with other cancer patients, survivors, getting to relate to them. That social aspect cannot be overlooked in, in terms of the benefit of just being able to relate to what someone's going through. You know, time and time again, cancer patients, survivors will tell me, and they're, and they're dead on, that, you know, we, we study this and we research it, and you may even have family members who go through it, but you don't really understand what it's like until you have a, a, a needle in your arm infusing chemo for four to six hours a day. You, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what that feels like. You don't know the, the, what the, the diagnosis of cancer can do to your mindset. And so it's really important for us as professionals to try and be as empathetic as we can, but also understand that, that some people are going to want a structured, dead-on physiological program to improve a specific goal. Others are just going to want to move. Others, like Nicole Kulos-Reed did a great job of explaining, some people may not even be ready for exercise. And I've been guilty of this, and this is the beauty of research, is, is that we're starting to see this emerge more and more. But I'd be one that'd be guilty more than anyone in saying, you have cancer, you're going through cancer, the earlier you exercise, the better it's going to be. And the results of one of Nicole's uh, research studies in, in head and neck cancer, they kind of looked at how many people went to each session. And they started an exercise program with head and neck cancer patients during treatment. And they started an exercise program with, the, with head and neck cancer patients, a group that had just finished treatment. And they found that the, the adherence or the attendance at these sessions was much higher in the group that finished treatment. And anecdotally, people were saying, you know, we there's no way we would exercise during treatment. It was just too brutal, particularly with head and neck. It, you know, as we talked about all the issues with eating and sleep and fatigue, they were like, there's no way I'm going to have the energy or the time to get up and go to a facility, take an hour or two out of my day and exercise. At the same time, if you didn't come to me at the start of my treatment and say, hey, this is beneficial, and if you didn't keep in contact with me during treatment, I may not have started when treatment is over. So there's another aspect of that in the timing of exercise. Maybe it's not right for everyone to start as soon as you can. Maybe there's a portion that, like we talked about, you're not ready for the exercise, but maybe you're ready to hear about some of our, our tools in terms of behavior change. Maybe we, we spend some time educating you on the safety of exercise during treatment and how exercise can can affect some of the, or negate some of the side effects, how it can affect maybe some cancer-related outcomes down the road and really kind of work with you during treatment just to understand all those components to where when you finish treatment, you've kind of bought in a little bit more and you're ready to rock. So again, it kind of comes back to I'm trying to give you different scenarios of what I've came, come across in my career so far, what I've talked to with other people in terms of there's not going to be, and, and if there's ever a population that is not one size fits all, it's cancer population. 
you know, whether it's young children or older adults, cancer can really affect anyone and it can differ in its severity, in the treatment you get, in your prognosis. And all of those things play a huge role in how we design the program. So again, this just kind of comes back to trying to explain everything that goes into how we design a program and our process. And I'm sure a portion of you are saying, you know, that's a really good perspective. I really like that. Other of you are shaking a computer or your iPod or whatever you're listening on and saying, just give me a program. Just give me an exercise program. And unfortunately, that's not the case. And if you are a professional or a researcher or a practitioner and you have a different approach, get in touch with me and let's talk. Because I, as I mentioned in the previous episode, I think it's really valuable for one, for both of us to talk about our differences and two, for other practitioners out there to, to hear what other people are doing and to maybe, you know, if, if we both see some ideas of what we're doing, we can resolve it and meet in the middle. We can both improve the way we move forward. And that comes back to the main goal of the podcast again is it's just to increase the awareness. And, and one of the things I'm most proud about is we're at about averaging about 500 plus listens per episode or downloads per episode. And there's some metrics I can't get. So I'm, I'm guessing that's a little underestimated, but we're in over 20 plus countries. And, you know, everyone I talk to that that doesn't know me, very few are familiar with the ex- the field of exercise oncology. The whole goal of this podcast is just to promote awareness and, and bring people to what we do because it is a, it is a still a really new field. And I, I guarantee you, as you go through listening to these episodes, as I go through my career, what we know right now will change dramatically in the next five, 10 years. And hopefully by then, this will be a, a, an established field, an established uh, exercise oncology will be established as a cancer care but the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, this field is still really new and there's a lot we do know in terms of how to prescribe exercise, but there's a lot we don't know in terms of, you know, for example, if you have advanced cancer, very little research done in that area. If you've got terminal cancer, if you've got bone metastases, we're still trying to figure out all those different issues and treatment is evolving. A treat a cancer treatment is ever evolving and they're coming up with different doses they're coming up with different combinations different type of treatment so then we've got to backtrack or we've got to really try and catch up i should say and say okay well now you've got this different type of treatment are there different side effects how can we use exercise so it's a cat and mouse game with with the gate with the field of exercise oncology and the cancer treatment and and, and the field in general so again the goal of the podcast is one is to give you an overview and also just kind of keep you up to date as we're moving through. And my philosophy as as a coach and where I sit now has changed dramatically from when, from when I first started out. You know, I was uh, second year in college and I barely had my certification. I was working at YMCA and I was I was saying everyone needs to squat heavy, absolutely. And I I had no idea to how to talk to another human being. So my you know over the course of the ten years or whatever I've I've been working on this my philosophy has changed dramatically year to year and and as I've gotten more experience in different areas and it probably will keep evolving so you may find that five plus years from now I'll have a different philosophy and and again that's a really important point to make in in terms of where you're at in your career as as a professional you will and and there's an importance for you to keep educating yourself and keep growing as a professional and be able to look back at what you did three four years ago and kind of say you know, I would have 
I would do things differently now. <laughs> and if you're not, that's scarier than if you were, because if if you're not looking back and saying, you know, I, I could have done that a little bit better, you know, maybe you're not improving, maybe you're not growing. So I'll kind of leave you with that in terms of that's what we do. That's that's what I do as as a physiologist. When I work with people who come to me, I, I try and get as much information as I can about them as a person, about their history, about their treatment. And then I meet with them. I, I get on a Skype, I get on a phone, I meet with them in person and I just get to know them. I show them me and I try and educate them and, and get them to understand that this is going to be a journey. It's not going to be a six week six week quick fix. It's going to be a process of give and take between the two of us and we're going to work together to figure out a program that best suits you, that best suits your lifestyle. We may not get it right on the dot, straight off the bat, but if we maintain those open lines of communication, we can get there. We can modify the program and slowly over time we'll start to, to tease out what is really not only effective, but works for you. So, and, and I'll leave you with that and encourage you to, to keep growing as professionals, keep exploring different areas, keep learning, keep improving and changing your philosophy. And uh, thanks a lot for tuning in, folks, and we'll see you next time.